0: Welcome to Creative Peacemail Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tami Takeishi. Mm-hmm. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. The month of love, so don't forget to show some love to our furry four legged friends. I'm passionate about Docs and Rescue of Houston, an entirely volunteer based 501c3 organization with a ton of heart. Docks and Rescue of Houston are able to rescue and rehome dogs entirely through their foster network, giving these adorable pups a fresh start. If you'd like to learn more about this organization, visit dro.org. That's D-R-O-H dot org. What if you could get groceries delivered in as fast as an hour without leaving the comfort of your home? If you're like me, going to the grocery store is the last thing you want to do after a long day. Instacart makes it easy to take care of the grocery shopping, and they now offer contactless delivery to have your items delivered safely to your front door. Use the app or visit instacart.com to shop from all your favorite retailers, including local stores. In just a few taps, you can get everything you need to make a scrumptious breakfast, a late night snack, and everything in between. Follow the link in the show notes to let Instacart know we sent you, and to support the show, and get free delivery on your first order over $35. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Piecemeal Podcast. It is February and we're celebrating love and friendship and one of today's guests is YA author Cheyenne Young. Cheyenne Young is a young adult author of The Last Wish of Sasha Cade, The Breakup Support Group, and other books including a really cool YA superhero series. If you haven't checked it out yet, definitely do. And her books are witty, full of heart, and the perfect weekend read that will leave you smiling. Also, The Last Wish of Sasha Cade has recently been purchased for Film Rights, so there are a lot of exciting things coming in the future. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you. This is my second ever Zoom meeting, so I'm very excited to be
0: here. You're going to be a pro at this.
1: Yeah, we're like a year into the pandemic and I'm finally learning Zoom.
0: So would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself
1: and your current projects? I'm an author. I'm a Texan and a coffee addict, and that's pretty much all anybody needs to know about me to understand me. Um, I write young adult novels for, I'd like to say I write them for teens and people who are teens at heart, because I, I think more adults actually read my books than teens, but that's cool because I'm an adult. Anyway, my current project is a young adult uh, contemporary novel. It does not have a title yet, Um, and it is about loss and a little bit about love and overcoming loss and overcoming love, and there's a dog in it, and I really don't want to say too much because I hate spoiling my own books, so that's that. There's a dog in it. That really is all I really need to say.
0: Well, that's all you need to hook me. I mean, if there's a dog in it, I'm going to buy the book. Yes.
1: Well, you would buy it anyway, because I would make you.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Full disclosure, Cheyenne's one of my besties. And yes, I would buy the book, no matter what. <laughs> and then I would insist that she sign it with some long, long scrap.
1: Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's the, it's the least I can do after making you buy my book.
0: <laughs> there you go. So we're going to get started with some questions. Um, I usually start off with who or what inspired you to become an author?
1: Who or what? Can I say myself? Because I'm often inspired by my own self. <laughs> so I, I think I give a different answer to this question every time someone asks. But if I really dig deep and think about it, I think fan fiction made me want to become an author. And I'm really not ashamed to say that. I know I probably should be. But I've been a lover of reading my whole life, and it really never occurred to me to write until I discovered fan fiction. And I think like how most fan fiction writers evolve as you discover it, you read it, you love it, and you decide that you could do it better. So you start writing your own and then you find this love of writing and you decide to write your own novels. So I think that's really what happened to me because I'm not one of those authors who will say that I've wanted to write ever since I was a little girl because that just wasn't true. I've loved books ever since I was a little girl, but I was really an adult when I decided to start writing and I owe it all to um, a certain fan fiction that I will not name.
0: Well, you know, you have to keep some secrets, right? (laughs) That aura of mystery. So obviously, since you wrote fan fiction and you love lots of books, who are some of your favorite authors?
1: Oh, can I say every author? So I really love uh, Leigh Bardugo, and I never know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she wrote the Grisha series, Six of Crows. It's actually, uh, the Grisha series just got picked up on Netflix, which is releasing in April, I think. So I'm super excited. But everything she writes is just incredible. Um, I also love Abigail Johnson and Heather Demetrios, Janine Frost. She's not a young adult author, but she's fantastic. Her Night Huntress series, I think I have read that series more than any other book or series in my life. I'm probably going on 15 times. I just, it's like, I can't help myself. I just have to read it again. It's such a good series. So definitely Janine Frost and pretty much every author ever. I find it really hard to pick super favorite authors because I just, I love all books.
0: Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Would you say that you draw any inspiration or you get like super pumped about your own writing after reading a book that you love or a series or even picking up a new book? Definitely not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> pumped? No. Like when I read stuff that I love, just brilliant, brilliant fiction or stories or anything, it usually makes me really depressed in this, like, there's no way I can be that good sort of way. It doesn't inspire me at all, actually. <laughs> like, I, I feel like my love of reading and my love of writing are two different worlds, and I have to keep them separated. So when I'm in the middle of writing a manuscript, I don't read anything at the same time, because it just makes me sad, and I feel like I can't compete. But one of my you know, little life mottos, and I've probably told you this one before, is that you cannot compare your rough drafts to another author's published manuscript. So they're two completely different things. So no, I don't take any inspiration from the stuff that I love.
0: <laughs> That's interesting because I'm the opposite. When I do sit down to read something, if I find something in- just beautiful, I'll be like, all right, how did they word that? And you know, I'll sort of mentally flag it. For example, in your book, The Last Wish of Sasha Cade, it was so emotionally moving. And you know, I don't want to spoil anyone who hasn't anything for anyone, but it's just very beautifully written, very moving. And I'm like... I, I want to write a book that moves people like this. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying like, I definitely want to make people cry all the time, but I just want my words to move people.
1: You should try it. It's really fun making people cry. Um, but I mean, I, I, I get that and I understand that, but it's so weird. Like I can't, when I read something brilliant, I'm just like, oh, this is so brilliant. And I suck so much and I will never be this good, and I should just stop trying. So sometimes, actually, I've been known to read books that I think are really bad and poorly written to kind of boost me and give me the confidence to keep writing myself. I I will not name those books, just to be polite.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, I can lend you some crappy books. (laughs) I've got a few of those on my shelf.
1: They're inspirational. It's like, if this got published, I can get published.
0: But you know what? I love them anyway, just for that. They are. I remember thinking that in third grade there was this poetry book that we were reading in class and I was like, this is crap. I can do better than this. And I was in third grade. I even told my parents that.
1: And that's, yeah, well, that's, I think that's what inspires writing. You know, it's like, I read a bunch of fan fiction and I was like, okay, this is good, but it could be better. And it, it's like, it, it just, you know, empowers you to write your own stuff. But now that I've been, in the writing game for so long, I just get really depressed when I read amazing books. It doesn't stop me. I still love reading amazing books, but it's like, it's really hard to start writing again after I read just a brilliant work of fiction.
0: If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. So it's almost like you're in awe, I guess, kind of like if you were listening to Mozart and then you're like, well, now I have to write my own symphony. Well, darn, you know.
1: Exactly. It's like, there's why bother competing?
0: (laughs) But it's not a competition to
1: be honest. No, it is not. The good thing about readers is that readers will always need another book to read. It's not like you write a book and readers only read one book in their life and never read another one. They're going to they're read tons of books. So um, there's room for all of us.
0: Definitely. And I think, you know, with the advent of self-publishing, some people are able to sort of make it out in the world and reach even more readers. I know for for yourself, you are traditionally published, and that's the way that I'd like to go for my own projects. But, you know, sometimes self-publishing is the right avenue for other people, and that just gets more people into reading, which is wonderful all the way around.
1: Absolutely. I will never forget, it really kind of changed my view on self-publishing, when I had a friend a few years back who had a family member in ICU and in the hospital. So she spent like three weeks straight living in the hospital waiting room. Uh, she didn't want to go home. And I was like, you know, how are you doing? Can I bring you something? And she said, no, you know, I'm okay because I'm reading. She had the Kindle app on her phone. And she's like, all these indie books, self published books, are really cheap. You can get a lot of them for like 99 cents. And she had powered through like dozens of novels while sitting there in the hospital waiting room. And she said, I wanted to buy the new, you know, such and such uh, famous book, but it was $10. And she's like, you know, these are cheaper. I can read a lot more of these. And I was like, this is incredible because these indie authors are putting their books out there. They're making them affordable and people are reading them. And she kind of picked up, she wasn't a big reader at that point. But she spent those weeks reading so many books that she became a massive reader. And now she's got a library that's bigger than mine. Um, I give lots of props to self-published authors.
0: And it's, you know, it doesn't matter which road you travel down. Getting a book published is a monumental achievement. Yes.
1: Yes. Finishing a manuscript is a big deal.
0: It is. And you write fast. You're a fast writer.
1: I do. I would like to thank um, AOL Instant Messenger Teaching me how to type really fast when I was in junior high.
0: There you go. Woo woo. (laughs) Shout out to them.
1: (laughs) All those hours spent uh, chatting with my literal and real life friends, we could have walked outside and hung out, but we had to get on AOL to instant message because that was the cool thing. That's what taught me how to type so
0: fast. There you go. And speaking of your creative writing process, what are some things that you really love about the writing process? And what are some things that you really don't love?
1: Well, I really love being finished. And I don't love actually writing. <laughs> um, it's like sitting down and saying, okay, you have to start writing now. It's probably the worst part of writing. The best part is like, as soon as I've just wrapped up, whether it's A scene or a chapter or a whole manuscript that's the best part it's like yes like it's just so such a great feeling of accomplishment but it's like it's so hard it's so hard to start writing and I think that's kind of that's why we say just finishing a novel is such a great accomplishment because so many people can't just make themselves start because it truly is the hardest part
0: I feel like that's the case for a lot of creative pursuits it's really getting over whatever mountain in your mind whatever barrier to start that thing you know whether it's practicing an instrument or writing a novel or you know training for a marathon you know that it's the starting really is uh, the hardest part for so many people
1: for sure i mean we all want incredibly maybe not all of us um, we all want these like fit toned amazing bodies but dragging our butt to the gym is not fun it's the same thing with writing
0: Way wait, wait to make aspiring writers really <laughs> excited about the process. <laughs> it's horrible. Don't do it. Run away. <laughs> Find another hobby. <laughs> I know that's really like dark
1: and uh, depressing. And I've had a few authors when I've been on panels at conventions with other authors. They'll turn and glare at me when I say this. But I do stand by it. And I don't care if it's dark and depressing when I tell people, if you can quit writing, then quit. If, if you can just say, nah, I don't really like this, go ahead and quit because either two things will happen. You will either never write again, in which case you really probably weren't meant to be a writer or like most people, you will be writing again. You will realize you can't quit because there's something that's in all of us as creatives and as writers and storytellers that no matter how much we want to quit, because it is such a hard thing to do. We can't. We may, you know, like at least 20 times a day, I throw my hands up dramatically and say, that's it. I'm done. I'm never writing again. I'm going to delete all my social media. I'm going to delete my website. I'm going to throw my books away and I'm never going to think about writing again. And then five minutes later, I'm writing again. So, you know, I like to tell people, you can quit. Go for it. Like, I- I'd like to see you try. Do it. right
0: right right you know and creativity is in all of us and in all forms and to an extent when you find something you're passionate about it sort of becomes an addiction you know you become addicted to doing that activity it's hard to quit yes it is and so that's why
1: especially like because I give a lot of talks at schools and stuff and the kids will say well how do I know if you know I don't know if I can be a writer or if I should be a writer and I was like well just try to stop thinking about it <laughs> like, try to quit because if you're like nah, never mind I don't really want to be a writer then there's your answer but if you can't stop then you ha- you are doomed to this life and I'm very happy to have you here in this life with me
0: yes shackled to being a creative person for life for better or worse yes And speaking of creative life, in your own words, what does it mean to live a creative life?
1: To live a creative life. You're hitting me with these hard questions, Tammy. I think it's, for me, I kind of feel like it's the only way to survive sometimes, not to be dramatic. Uh, But you know me, I sew, I crochet, I craft just any type of craft I probably have tons of supplies for it in my craft room because I love all sorts of creativity to me it's really the only thing one of the only things that brings me joy is being able to create things even if I'm not good at it so it it kind of like when you say what does it mean to me it's pretty much everything because if you don't have a creative life It's, I would be waking up and going to work and coming home and eating dinner and going to bed every day. And that just sounds so boring to me.
0: It's the heart and soul for, for many people, you know, especially, especially artists, people who are not comfortable with the typical nine to five job and they find themselves needing to break out, needing to be creative, you know, especially now during the pandemic, I feel like people are discovering their creative sides a little more.
1: Oh yeah, and all these people learned how to bake bread and I'm like, okay, keep bragging because that's one thing I have not been able to successfully do.
0: I can't either. (laughs) If it's in the kitchen, I'm not creative. (laughs) Oh goodness. So uh, switching gears a little bit, instead of a hard question, how about a fun one? Um, If you were to bury a time capsule, what would you put in it?
1: So it's funny that you mentioned that because the other day I was on this like Netflix binge as one does when you are trying to finish a manuscript. And I watched like three different shows in a row and they all had a time capsule in them. I was like, that's so weird. Like you don't really hear about time capsules anymore. Anyway, um, so I've had time to think about this. And I think I would put my um, sticker in it that says I got my COVID vaccine because this is such a unique time that we're living in. And because I'm selfish and don't want to put something valuable in there.
0: There you go. Your paper that says you got the vaccine pretty much says everything about this time right now. Like, you wouldn't even need anything else in there.
1: You know, this whole year, this whole... Because the purpose of a time capsule would be to kind of preserve your life in this moment. And that is very much my life in this moment was being very excited to get vaccinated.
0: It's a good thing. It's a good thing, so. All right, another fun question. If you could have dinner with any creative person or people, dead or alive, who would it be?
1: This is a hard question. Being very practical here, I think I would say can I say more than one person? Sure. I would say the trio, not that trio, the trio in my head, Mindy Kaling, Tina Fey, and Amy Poehler. They are three incredible writers, actresses, just all around amazing people. And I love them so much. And I love everything they create so much. And if I could just have dinner or just hang out in the room with them, preferably as part of like a writer's table for some amazing new series that I'm a part of. That would be my ideal dinner.
0: That sounds like it would be really fantastic and super fun. Yes. They, they are great writers. They're amazing.
1: They're so talented. They're very, very, very inspiring.
0: And hilarious, of course.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, it's just, and they have their, their style and their unique style that I just love so much. I was just watching a new episode of the new show called Mr. Mayor and Tina Fey, is she wrote and produced? I'm really not sure if she, she's part of it. I do not know what she did. She probably wrote it. In her. Anyway, um, I was just watching it. My husband walks by and he, he looks at like ten seconds of it and he goes, "That looks like one of those Tina Fey shows." And I was like, "It is! <laughs> like you know me so well. You know that I. You know if Tina Fey's got a show out, that's what I'm watching. So I, you know, I love all three of those women. They're incredible." So talking a little
0: bit about TV. What is your favorite movie or TV show adaptation of a book?
1: Okay, so as a writer myself, I think we're all supposed to, on the outside at least, pretend that we hate the movie versions, right? Like the book's always better. Um, And it usually is. But so my favorite movie adaptation would be from the young adult novel called Everything, Everything by Nicola Yoon. That movie came out maybe three or four years ago. And I remember, I loved the, the book. So I was really excited to go see the movie. I went with my daughter who also loved the book. And I remember like, I didn't even get to enjoy the movie because I spent the whole time thinking, this is incredible. Like This is just like the book. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Like they did such a good job. And so I ended I kind of had to watch the movie again to really, truly appreciate it. Cause I was just so happy that it followed the book so well. So that I always say that's my favorite movie adaptation.
0: Do you have a least favorite or is that a secret for your book?
1: No, actually, I'm trying to think. I can't think of any where I just was really mad because I think when it comes to film adaptations of books, we all know they can't make it perfect. They're going to have to take their own unique film you know, style to it. That's why it's called an adaptation. So I don't really hate any of them. But I do love to be all self-righteous and tell everybody you have to read the book. Like definitely read the book. Watch the movie too, but also read the book because there's something really special when you can put both of those together. And now, you know, now that I have a book that is being made into TV, it's like, I'm not as kind of strict as I thought I would be because I never thought I'd be in this situation. So I'm like, you can do whatever you want to my story. Like just whatever you want. I'm just so happy to be here. So, you know, I think they just have to be enjoyed separately. So I don't hate any of them.
0: I would agree there. I don't have any that I don't like, but on the flip side, I love, love, love the movie The Notebook. And I love it so much that I'm afraid to read the book, The Notebook, because I'm afraid to ruin the movie by reading the book.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Well, it's funny. I always, def- I always try to read the book first uh, before seeing the movie. But a lot of times you don't even realize it is a book because that one, that movie came out, which is a brilliant movie, by the way, but it came out so long ago. I was like a teenager. I remember I actually saw it in high school. So it's like, I didn't know the book existed. So I haven't read that book either, but you're right. I don't think I would want to, because like whatever comes first in your mind, you love the most.
0: True. And how could you say no to Rachel McAdams and mine?
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: you can. It's perfection. perfection. (laughs) Jinx. (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh okay so along the lines of fictional characters if you could be any fictional character who would you be
1: I think I'd want to be like one of the more badass characters can I say badass on this podcast totally okay um Kaz Brecker he's extremely damaged but you know he's got a good future I can feel it so that's who I would be because he's a super badass
0: is that the character that's going to be played by Ben Barnes Or is that a different
1: character? No, but it's the same adaptation that you're thinking of. Okay. So if you haven't read Six of Crows, you have to read it. It's so good. I have never seen a more just emotionally tortured character than Kaz Brecker. I love him so much. And he's just such a ruthless badass. And I love being ruthless and badass, you know, fictionally, because in real life, I'm (laughs) very nice. So, um, but I feel like if you give me like 30 minutes to think on this question, I'll come up with 500 characters for you. So I had to pick one. So that's who I picked.
0: You're making me want to read that series more and more. It's on my list. It's on my TBR, which just gets longer every day.
1: Move it up because I know you and I know that when the show premieres in April, you're going to watch it. So you
0: need to watch or you need to read these books before April. I got things on my to-do list. You are a huge reader. Is there any book from your childhood that's just sort of stuck with you and really resonated? Yes,
1: yes. It's going to sound silly. And it kind of reminds me of the film question from a few minutes ago my girl and my girl too so these were actually movies first and then someone wrote them into books they were not books that became movies it was the opposite but when I was a little girl I got my hands on a copy of my girl and my girl too and I read these books a million times and I loved them so much and I was like much older and I realized that it was a movie I was like oh my gosh and I freaked out and I loved it so much but I still have my copies of those books that are like 20 something years old I don't they're old and yellow and falling apart so those books really stuck out to me as a child I loved those and then also I read every single babysitter's club novel there was like 200 and something of them I had a teacher in fifth grade that had everyone and I read every single one that school year and then also a few Dean Koontz novels I read as a child that I shouldn't have because they scarred me for life so when you say something that stuck with me it definitely Dean Koontz
0: wow you don't hear too many people say they read Dean Koontz as a child (laughs)
1: I shouldn't have it was like we would go to these thrift stores on the weekends and stuff and my mama just let me fill up a bag with however many books I wanted and she didn't supervise me (laughs) and so I was reading like very serious and disturbing horror novels as a little kid and I could not put them down
0: do you like horror novels to this day or no
1: no absolutely not I don't even watch horror movies I I can't stand the genre at all so maybe I was scarred as a little kid I don't know
0: Could be, could be. (laughs) Word to the wise: (laughs) monitor, (laughs) monitor the books. (laughs) Getting back to more of the writing process, is there any writing advice that you absolutely adhere to, or vice versa, any writing advice that you ignore?
1: I the best writing advice that I adhere to, and that I tell everybody, is to read a lot of books. Um, I really feel like you don't need to take a writing class. You don't need an MFA in creative writing. You don't need any special classes you should probably know the language that you're writing in but the best way to teach yourself how to write and to become a better writer is to read a lot of books Uh, read widely read horror novels as a child and then read a bunch of babysitter club novels to like kind of clean your brain Um, but just read lots and lots of books because it teaches me even now I've written I don't even know how many close to 100 manuscripts in my life and it's like the most I learn about the craft of writing, is from reading other books. And I feel like I've been to so many seminars and panels and classes, and I sit there feeling really bored because I'm not really learning anything new when someone's trying to teach me how to write. But then I go read a book and I I learn more about it than I could learn from a class. That's the advice that I definitely adhere to and tell everybody to follow. And what was the other question, like advice I don't adhere to? (laughs) Pretty much everything. Um, The whole write every day crap that you hear online is so stupid you don't you don't have to write every day and basically any advice that I, I think it's it's good to try advice to try everything that you hear or think of and then just keep what you like and discard what you don't and if something stops working for you that's okay because I had these processes of writing over the years and I would think well this worked for this novel so I have to do this and it wasn't working for the next novel and I finally realized just let it go so it's like don't you don't have to be really strict with yourself. The only thing that matters is that you're still writing. So just because someone, even if it's someone super famous and amazing and important, just because they give you some advice, you don't have to follow it if it doesn't help you.
0: I love that. I definitely love that what you said is, you know, just to do what you need to do for that book, to get that book out of your mind and onto the page and how every book is a different writing journey, essentially, like in one book, you know, you might outline in another book, you might just free write.
1: No, Tammy. No,
0: (laughs) no free writing. No,
1: (laughs) I'm, I will sit here in this podcast and contradict myself by saying only follow the advice that works and do it, do it works, but you have to outline. (laughs) No, I mean, some people don't, some people don't outline, but I still, yeah, you need to outline Tammy. But it is it is very true what you said about every book. Like um I will have a some like the like the last wish of Sasha Kate, it just flew out of my fingers. The second I got the idea, I wrote the book in 26 days and It I had I did like next to no revising. It was just brilliant, and I was like, yes, you know, this is amazing. And so my next dozen books, I tried writing it in the same way, and it didn't work. It's like that was the process for that book. That process isn't going to work for this book. So it's like, literally, every single book I write has this whole new process. And some of them, it's it may be, but I always start with outlining. I would just like to say, but (laughs) besides that, like some books, um, if I start writing it, like say on the couch in the living room, I can't, I have to finish it on the couch in the living room. It's like my brain will not function anywhere else and I normally write in my office. So it's like every book is just different. So you really just have to do what feels right and what works in the moment and not try to force yourself to write the way that you think you need to write. Except for you, Tammy, you need to outline.
0: (laughs) In in my defense, I do usually start with a query letter draft, which is sort of outline. So you mean
1: a vague summary okay that's not an outline
0: (laughs) am I gonna get in trouble over here (laughs) (laughs) well
1: for the for the listeners it's this is Tammy and my personal history (laughs) of of me telling her she's out like because she's always like I should really outline and then she doesn't and then I yell at her so and then I'm and
0: then I'm rewriting everything and she's like see if you only outlined
1: and I'm like this is what an outline
0: is for In reality, Cheyenne cares a lot, and she's trying to save me hours of banging my head against the keyboard, and I just don't listen. Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) To use the gym metaphor again, I am your writing personal trainer, and I'm trying to put you through the boot camp of outlining, and you just keep resisting.
0: (laughs) Maybe I'll come around one day. Well, speaking about creative processes, has the current situation affected how you're doing in one way or another, like positive, negative, neutral?
1: Yes, it's affected every single thing in my life, uh, like most of us, I think. Um, it was really, really hard to write at the start of the pandemic. and But you know, I I work from home, so I'm one of those very lucky people that don't have to leave the house if I don't want to. And so I haven't left the house in almost a year. And, and it's funny because the pandemic sucks, obviously, but the last few months here in America with our, all of our political drama has made it very hard to write. And I found myself spending like four hours a day watching the news in like fear and terror, I guess, instead of writing. I was like, you have got to get it together. So now I try to keep the TV off and I try to focus. But I would say there was at least six months in this past year where I didn't do anything. And you know, because I complain to you a lot. And it's it just always kind of reminds me that even though I love being creative and I love writing and I love escaping into my stories. I'm not the kind of person that can do that when I'm upset. I know a lot of people can actually, you know, like, like poetry, you know, they create their best work when they're miserable. And it's, it's the complete opposite for me. Like if I'm in a bad mood or I'm re- nervous or worried about anything in my outside life, my writing life falls apart. Like I cannot sit down and focus. I, I cannot escape. So um, yeah, this past year has been very hard, but I'm working on my new book, my dog book, and I'm keeping the TV off. And I only allow myself to check the news in the morning when I drink my coffee. So that's really helped a lot. And I'm vaccinated now. So I'm just... So excited about that. And I hope that everybody else can get vaccinated very, very soon.
0: It sounds like you're covering all your bases. And I I completely understand, you know, being an artist, it's important to know what's going on in the world, but it's it it does affect your mood, and then that affects the art that you create or the or whether or not you're feeling up to creating. And I know not just you, but many people I've talked to on the podcast, and even myself, many months feeling helpless, feeling all sorts of emotions and unable to escape into the artistic worlds that that we thrive in. Exactly.
1: It's, well, and it's it's been really hard because it's been kind of an identity crisis in a way, because I feel like everywhere you look and everything you read about and all over popular culture and stuff, it's, there's kind of this, like stereotype that writers are these like little tortured creatures. Then we like to sit in a dark room with our coffee and just pour our heart out onto the page. And so I kind of feel like, am I a failure because I'm miserable right now? Why am I not writing? But you know, that's just not my process. So it's like, if, you know, if everything sucks, I'm not going to be able to sit down and write well. So I need to be in a good mood to write. So, you know, yeah, writers and writers are different, but it's definitely, what what doesn't work for me might work for other people because I know plenty of people that love being extremely upset because they just sit down and escape and pour their heart out and I wish I could do that and I can't
0: well like you said you know different things work for different people and the most important thing is that you figured out what works for you and what doesn't work for you and you're still able to be successful and and you know work on your art so exactly yep
1: yep and you can't be too hard on yourself you know if it's not working that day it's just not Mm -hmm. working so it's okay like I said, don't do not follow the, the well-spoken advice of write every day. Like,
0: don't do that. If you don't feel like writing today, don't do it. What do you wish you had known when you first started writing? Like if you could go back and tell yourself X number of years ago something.
1: I am very glad that I didn't know how long it would take to get published because I definitely would have quit. Like if you would have told me, hey, it's going to be at least a decade of working your butt off to get an agent, I would be like, man, screw this. I'm not going to even try. So I'm glad I didn't know that. But one thing I wish I really knew was the power of the debut author. And it's really weird. And I feel like it's kind of a relatively new phenomenon. But if you are a debut author, meaning your very first book is getting published, you get so much hype and popularity and marketing and promotion and like the whole internet world is so excited that you're a debut author. And they even have these, it's in the young adult community. I'm not sure if it's in other genres, Um, but they have these like little yearly clubs where everyone who say, if you debuted in 2021, every other young adult author with the, for their first novel coming out in this year, they join these little clubs and they um, promote each other. They talk about each other's books. They hype each other up. They support each other. They do book signings together. And it's like this little ecosystem of debut authors. Well, I didn't get that because when I published my first novel back in 2012, I self-published it because I was like, I'm just going to self-publish for fun. And then I'll keep trying to get an agent. Cause at that point I had been trying to get an agent for like six or seven years. And, um, So I, I, and like, once you've already been self-published, so then when I did get an agent and a novel, even though it was my first traditionally published novel, nobody cared. Like I couldn't join the debut groups. I even asked and they were like, no, you've already been published. You self-published. You're not in our cool little club. And so it really kind of sucked. And so I, if I could go back in time, I would have waited so that I could get this very cool, you know, debut author status that everybody, you know, hypes up more.
0: So switching gears a little bit, what is one common myth about the field of writing?
1: I think a lot of people think that we're all really wealthy. The amount of JK Rowling jokes that I have heard in my life when people are like, oh, you're you're an author? Are you rich like JK Rowling? Do you want a mansion? <laughs> it's like, I guess JK Rowling is like the only author that everybody knows. And we are not rich. And a lot of us do not make much money. For example, like, I earn about 87 cents per paperback that sells. And it's, I think it's like $1.27 or so per hardback copy. And I have to pay taxes on that too. So it's like most authors are not wealthy at all. And even once your book sells film rights, you're still not wealthy. And even when, you know, one good thing, if your book becomes a movie and then a lot of people buy your movie you will sell a lot of books, which can bring you some more money, but at 87 cents a book, you're really still not, you know, unbelievably, unfathomably rich. So that is definitely a myth that I come across a lot, especially when I'm talking to children or teenagers, They're like, oh, you're an author, are you rich? I'm like, no, I'm not.
0: But it does go to show that people still persevere and do the art, not because of the money, but because they've got the story in them, or this painting in them, or this music in them, and they just have to get it out. Absolutely.
1: and. I'm one of those people it's like I write so that it gets read like the biggest joy for me is knowing that people are going to read it and it's not necessarily about the money which of course if someone if a publisher wanted to give me millions of dollars I would happily accept it but it's just so exciting knowing someone's going to read it and if no one would ever read any of my stories I don't think I would bother writing them down because the writing part for me is not easy or fun like what's fun is being done with it and seeing it out in the world and hearing people give you feedback on your story and knowing that people are reading it and enjoying it so that's really that's where it's at that's why I do it I don't do it for the 87 cents per sale right
0: it's for the love of reading and sharing and maybe even sparking someone else to want to write or want to actually read a book just like the Harry Potter book people always say kids didn't really read books that like long books like hers until she came around you know and sparked a whole wave of reading you know right yep so tell me about a time that you felt most happy about your writing
1: at first my first thought was to say whenever I got my agent but really I think it was about a month before then because whenever I got the idea for Sasha The Last Wish of Sasha Cade, and it's really funny and embarrassing, and I do not think you're getting an exclusive here, because I don't think I've ever told anyone this, but I knew it was immediately perfect. I was like, this is perfect, this, and when I say perfect, I mean, this is the book that will get me an agent after all these years of trying and all these books of failures. This one's it, and so I called it my perfect book, and like my beta readers, like she knew, because I was like, I'm sending you my perfect book, and I would just call it my PB, because it's my perfect book. And so I think like the most, you know, excited I've ever been about writing was when I got that idea and it suddenly hit me that this is a really good idea. And this is the best idea I've ever had. And this is what will get me an agent. And it did. Then the second, you know, the second time would be when I got my agent. That was pretty amazing too. But I think it was just, I just knew, and I haven't had that feeling again, like ever about anything. Then you know the the one feeling I got when I just knew that that was going to be the book. Um, so that, that definitely that's my happiest.
0: That sounds so exciting though to have that to know that like this is what it is and then it comes true. Yeah,
1: and it sold film rights. <laughs>
0: it's, it's hopefully going to be <laughs> on your
1: TV soon. <laughs> yes,
0: and I can't wait for that. Definitely. Me too. Me too. Which reminds me, readers, go out and pick it up. The Last Wish yes. of Sasha Cade by Absolutely. Cheyenne Young. Available all sorts of places, especially independent bookstores, big bookstores, Amazon. We'll be dropping the links in the show notes as well and talking about them again at the end. So speaking of Sasha-Kate, is there a funny memory or sorry, or even a favorite memory? It doesn't necessarily have to be a funny memory. About your time working on it. No spoilers, please. Oh, goodness. Yes. But okay. So this is kind of a spoiler, but... What
1: I'm about to say literally happens in the very first chapter, So, and it's also written on the back of the book. So um, at the beginning of the book and throughout the whole book, Sasha Cade is dead, and I know you asked for a funny memory. So I was trying to think of this idea. I knew I wanted to write a book about friendship, and I was like, for once, I don't want a book to be about just a boy and a girl and just romance. I want to write about real loyal friendship and this you know just perfect best friendship where there's no drama and nothing gets in the way and that was a problem because when it comes to writing novels you have to have drama like you have to have a plot something bad has to happen something has to happen I couldn't write a book about just two best friends who live this perfect life and they're great to each other and they don't stab each other in the back or do anything mean and so I, re- I remember this very distinctly it was June 2016 And I was pacing my living room floor and I was like, you know, I need an idea. I need an idea. I was like, I I need, I've got two best friends and I had already had the two main characters. I already had their personalities in my mind. I knew I wanted to write their story, but I was like, what is their story? What would, like, what would happen to them that would make it worthy of a story without being, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And my daughter, who was a little preteen sarcastic child, just like me, I'm very proud of her. She overheard me and she said, well, mom, knowing you, you're probably gonna kill one of them. So that's what's gonna happen. And I stopped and it was like my Eureka moment. I was like, yes, one of
0: them's dead. I was like, you, you did
1: it, you did it, I'm killing one. And she was like, are you serious? And it's like the moment she said that, that's when I, I instantly knew that Sasha would be dead. And then, and it's like, that was the story. I wanted to write about two best friends that were just very loyal to each other and just the, the best friends that you could ever have, you know, soulmate best friends. And that's what this story is. But the drama that really unfolds is that the main character dies at the very beginning of the book. So that was my, you know, that's my funny story. Because my daughter really inspired the whole thing by her little sarcastic comment, she said. And I took it to heart.
0: And it worked out beautifully. Fantastic, fantastic book. One of my favorites. And I'm not just saying that because we're friends. I actually... (laughs) so readers here's here's an exclusive I found a review of Cheyenne's book on Goodreads before it came out I remember like wanting to read it and then One day on on the Twitterverse, I happened to see it was her debut launch and someone had made a really beautiful cake of, of the cover. And I'm like, oh, that looks really tasty. And that looks like a really cool book. And then I clicked around and found out that that was the book that I'd been trying to think of, that I couldn't find my bookmark of where I'd bookmarked to read this book. And then I ended up finding it and I was like, oh my gosh. And then Cheyenne and I met and I was like that's the book I've been looking for your book and I couldn't remember the name of it so (laughs) there you go
1: well and what's even funnier is so like you connected with me on Twitter and we found out we both live very close to each other
0: yes
1: (laughs) so of all the places we could have been so we were like met up for coffee like later that week I think
0: because it's like we you know we could do that so. Yes. I'm just glad because I was like racking my brain for months going like, what was that book that I wanted to read about these two best friends? And I just could not figure it out. So it was like fate. Well, the cake works in
1: magical ways. That was a pink champagne cake from the bake shop in Cypress, Texas. They're incredible. They have this pink champagne cupcake cake. That is just the best, most amazing cupcake in the world. And every time I finish a manuscript, like it just, not just a draft, not a full thing, but every time I finish a draft, I celebrate by getting myself one of those cupcakes. So my best friend, Susan, she actually called the shop and at, like re- requested it because they don't make custom book cakes. And she's like, could you make one? And, and she did. And it was beautiful. So it was very, very exciting. And that cake brought us together. It made us friends.
0: It did. We should, we should celebrate the amazing powers of cake. Yes. But I like your idea, though, um, of celebrating after finishing manuscripts and finishing drafts. That's a really great way to sort of motivate someone and have stepping stones and goals.
1: Yes, exactly. Especially if you motivate yourself with something you really like and you don't allow yourself to get it until you finish writing the manuscript and and I like to celebrate small things so as soon as I type at the end even though I know it's a first draft and it will need a lot of revisions and it's not perfect I go get myself that cupcake because I earned it and then as soon as revisions are done I go get another cupcake because I earned it and it's you know that's what motivates me. So you just got to find what motivates you. Find your pink champagne cupcake.
0: Well, for me, it's French fries, but uh, I eat those all the time anyway, without having to do any work. <laughs> what are some of the best writing resources you recommend, whether it's books, websites?
1: Um, I really love, um, she's a young adult author. Her name is Susan Dennard. I think it's susandinnercom backslash writers she has a writing newsletter and she gives a lot of writing advice and she has one in particular um, a blog post about how to write a synopsis and even now to this day every time I have to write a synopsis I go pull that website and read over it again and refresh myself because she's she's just got incredible uh, writing advice so susandinner.com and then there's also jessica brody She wrote, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. So it's, um, that book itself is very good, but she also has a whole website um, and a bunch of writing courses and stuff on her website. So she's amazing. And then for people who are trying to become published for the first time, there's Query Shark. I think it's Query Shark. I don't know, just Google Query Shark, you'll find it. It's Janet Reed, It's, it's an older website. I don't even know if she updates it now, but it's still there. And she takes people, send in their queries. And she dissects them and tells you how to make them better and what works and what doesn't work. And so that's how I learned how to write a really good query was just reading all of those blog posts. There's, there was like 300 something when I was there and I read every single one over the course of a weekend and kind of just memorized how to write a good query. So if you're trying to become published, you need to read that website before you start submitting to agents because query writing is an art in itself. And it's almost harder than writing the whole manuscript. Definitely check that out.
0: Excellent. And we'll have those in the show notes as well. But I second that about Query Shark. I, I really like her advice.
1: Yeah, it's and it's from an agent herself. So it's, you know, you're getting right to the source of what agents
0: want to see. We're going to do another fun question. If you had intro music or a theme song for your life, what would it be?
1: Like the sound of fresh hot coffee pouring into a cup. If I had an intro, like, or if I had a theme smell, it would be coffee. So a theme song, maybe... Um, there's a song called Deathbed. I know it sounds dramatic, but it's called Deathbed by Pofu, I think, Palfu. I'm not sure how you pronounce uh, his name, but the song's amazing and it talks about needing coffee. So I would say that one, but I don't want a theme song. I want a theme smell. I want everything to smell like coffee when I walk in the room.
0: That's a cool idea.
1: Of course, with the amount of coffee that I drink, it might already smell like coffee when I walk in the room. So
0: that's not I might already it, have though. that down. <laughs> So speaking of coffee, are you like a French press or a Keurig or what kind of a coffee person are you?
1: I am. uh, This is another exclusive just for your podcast. Um, Mm. I am a cheap Mr. Coffee coffee maker I bought off of Amazon type of girl. i just buy whatever cheap coffee like just a drip coffee maker and then when it breaks i just buy another one i'm terrible Um, i really do love a french press i have one of those i'm just very lazy and i don't use it very often but i just load up my coffee maker multiple times a day i'm very simple and as you know i drink my coffee black
0: it's true listeners she does drink black coffee and i stare at her in horror and disbelief
1: (laughs) i'll go through like three cups and she's just staring like really are you really are you really drinking that but it's it's an acquired taste it's my lifeblood just coffee
0: it, it is how you function
1: yes other people do things like vegetables and getting a good night's sleep i just use coffee for me as, as you know it's french fries well i'm gonna have to take you whenever this pandemic is over there's a pub in spring that's got these amazing waffle fries so we'll have to go get some one day waffle fries and a cupcake there you go
0: so if you could step into my shoes as the podcaster, what would you have asked yourself that I have not?
1: I would say Cheyenne, why are you wearing my shoes? You're like a foot taller than me. They must be uncomfortable. <laughs> oh my Lord, I love you. Um, <laughs> I think, I think you had excellent questions.
0: So I don't, I can't think of anything else. You, you just love me. I'm amazing. What can I say? <laughs> I do. I do. And we love Cheyenne Young, who you can find on social media and her website. Would you like to plug that here for a second? Sure. My website is um, www.cheyenneyoung.com.
1: And my name is spelled differently from the way you're thinking of. It's C-H-E-Y-A-N-N-E y-o-u-n-g my mother thought she was funny i guess by spelling my name in a way that nobody remembers and my i have a twitter and instagram i don't have any other social media but for twitter and instagram it's at normal shy that's normal c-h-e-y
0: excellent and where can we buy your books
1: i would go to um Indiebound or the book outlet might have them now for cheap i don't know just online somewhere or you could call your local indie bookstore But because it's COVID, I say you should order it online. Agreed.
0: Agreed. And especially from indie bookstores. I'm not saying people have to, but it's always good to support the smaller indie bookstores, especially during the pandemic, because they're probably hurting a little more than the big box stores.
1: Absolutely. So you should probably just buy like 10 copies of my book just to really support the bookstore. And then I will have enough money to go buy some french fries and cupcakes. One, one cupcake. I'll have enough money for one cupcake.
0: <laughs> and speaking of food, you are sharing an amazing garlic cheese bread recipe by the Pioneer Woman. It's, a, it's an incredible,
1: super easy to make cheesy garlic bread. And I would like to point out that I have been making this bread since before she was famous. Um, My friend and I found her probably like a decade ago. It was a very long time ago. We found this website with her garlic cheese bread and I started making it and it's fantastic. And now this woman's very famous and she deserves every ounce of that fame because her garlic bread is freaking amazing and you don't have to be a good cook to make it. And it's the most amazing cheese bread. And if I could just subsist on cheese bread for the rest of my life, I would, I would, I would definitely
0: choose that. And who doesn't love garlic cheese and bread? Exactly. It's the holy
1: (laughs) trinity of foods.
0: (laughs) add a little potato in there and we'll be even better (laughs) with some cupcakes sprinkled on top maybe. (laughs) there you go and some coffee
1: and then (laughs) and then buy yourself a book because you're going to be very sick for the next few hours you might as well have something to read
0: yes there you go excellent well thank you so much YA author Cheyenne Young for joining us and listeners you can check out links to find out more about Cheyenne and all of her books in the show notes, and I hope you have a great day. If you enjoy my podcast, Creative Piecemeal, then check out Musicians Dish. Freelance musicians Robin Anderson and Audra Sergal are longtime pals, workwives, music teachers, recording artists, church musicians, directors, advocates, and now podcasters. Their bi-monthly conversations casually examine the ins and outs of being modern music entrepreneurs with multiple earning streams. Sometimes these conversations devolve into the gutter. Other times, they're truly uplifting. Every episode is a dish. Listen in for epic gig stories, ways they did and didn't survive 2020, not a great year for musicians or most people, as it turns out, how they handle performance anxiety, And maneuver the healthcare system, how they get paid, and the worst jobs they've taken for $100 or less, including some adjunct work. Every episode of Musician's Dish is a deep dive for your ear holes, curse words guaranteed. New episodes every other Monday. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, or wherever you like to tune in. If you're feeling frisky, they're also on Facebook. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for a creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.